Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We interrupt this broadcast. Before it was history, it was news. It appears as though something has happened in the motor. I said, those are shots. Man on the moon. We copy it down, Eagle. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. I'm Bill Curtis. It's been said that breaking news becomes the first draft of history. What's overlooked is how deeply we relied on broadcast journalists who met the adrenalized demands of those moments, often with courage and daring. Broadcast journalism has a simple, sober purpose, to keep the public informed through the best and worst of times. But the consequence of that labor is profound. As legendary newsman Walter Cronkite wrote, the free press is the central nervous system of a democratic society. No true democracy can exist without it. History has borne out that wisdom. But before it was history, it was news. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 911, what's your emergency? I was dreading the call that I knew was coming. There have been reports that the suspect had guns and grenade launchers. What do you mean? What is this? It's the... How could this be? Police are not taking any chances on who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. It really was a, just a total chaotic scene. When we did make entry into the library, uh, it was a pretty gruesome sight. You're going to find out whether your child is dead or alive. I never thought this could happen here, but I guess it could happen anywhere. It was a year of traumatic storytelling. One year. I'm Brian Williams. 
When the day started, we did not yet know that it would end with a tragic event that would mark an entire generation of American students who are now adults. We did not yet know it would set a new benchmark in a uniquely American form of gun violence that sadly has only increased since then. It was the darkest nightmare of every parent come to life, and it happened in the land of, it can't happen here. The setting was Littleton, Colorado, a comfortably middle-class suburb of Denver, a place where people come to raise a family and where the arch over the hallway at local Columbine High School is inscribed with the motto, The Finest Kids in America Pass Through These Halls. For reporter Jason Luber of Denver TV station KUSA, the morning of April 20th, 1999 began as usual flying high above the city, broadcasting his helicopter traffic reports. I was the morning reporter, and I was also the fill-in traffic reporter for the helicopter. Our helicopter guy was the pilot, Al Verlay, and he was also the reporter at the same time. But we also shared a helicopter with the local TV station, KUSA Channel 9, the NBC affiliate. And so I was the backup helicopter traffic reporter. And so that's what I was doing that morning. We were flying around doing my normal traffic duties until nine o'clock. My day was supposed to just be doing traffic in the morning, doing traffic in the afternoon and doing a whole lot of nothing during the midday. But along with the familiar blend of commuters and shoppers traveling on the roadways below, there were two teenage killers, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, transporting an arsenal of weapons that included propane, napalm, pipe bombs, semi-automatics, and shotguns. They arrived at Columbine High School at about 11.10 a.m., and the killing started not long after that. Kathy Walker was news director for Denver radio station KOA. The scanners in the newsroom, we heard the dispatches from the Jeffco Sheriff's Office to Columbine High School. It was very shocking, and almost immediately we started getting calls from parents going, what's happening? I can hear the police response towards Columbine High School. So we broke in just before Paul Harvey. Gunfire at Columbine High School. Here's Steve Davis. We're looking to confirm. We don't know anything more. We will get back to you just as soon as we know. So during that 20-minute window, I was able to reach Steve Davis, who was the spokesperson for Arapahoe County Sheriff at that point. And I firmly believe that I was one of the very first people that had confirmation from him that there was what we would now call an active shooter or a gunman at loose in Columbine High School. At the time, we didn't use words like active shooter. All we knew was that someone had a gun and they were using it in the high school. That's all we knew. Once again, that's Steve Davis with the Jeffco Sheriff's Department. There have been reports that the suspect had guns and grenade launchers and that some students are hurt. Jeffco's SWAT teams are en route to the scene, as are 850 KOA's Jerry Bell and 850 KOA's Amani Ali. Jerry Bell reported for KOA. In the newsroom, it was me and one other reporter, Amani Ali. And we looked at each other and said, we got to go on this. 
I said, will you go north and I'll go south of the school and we'll see what happens. And um, that's what we did. And our program director and other people took over sort of running the, the operation while we were going out there to find out what was going on. KOA's April Zespa has talked to the parents of a Columbine High School student, April. Well, Kathy, Betty Smith works at a coffee shop down the block from Columbine. Her son goes to school there. She says she's very worried. I'm just absolutely stunned. I just want to go up there and get my kid out of the school and make sure he's safe with me. You know, at this point, it's not, you don't know if any kids in shots or, you know, so it's very frustrating for a parent to know that your kid's in a you know, a gun situation like that, and there's nothing you could do. Smith says when she heard of the shooting, she ran toward the school but couldn't get very close. Police have put barricades up along all four sides, and they're not letting traffic or parents through. We understand the school is in a total lockdown mode right now. I went south of the school, and at that particular point, the roadway was blocked, and there was either a police officer or a sheriff, I don't remember which, and a bunch of parents wanted to get to that school. And he says, you can't go there, but where you, you need to go is to Leewood Elementary School. Leewood Elementary School is more toward the north side of Columbine High School. And what these parents did, and I did, is we started to go down streets. And at some points, we were literally jumping over fences of people's houses to get over to Leewood Elementary School. And that's where I ended up. And this was the place where you're going to find out whether, as it turned out, your child is dead or alive. Or And it was an agonizing wait because it took hours and hours before they, they let all the kids out of that school. As a news person, you know it's big. And there's a shooting at a school. It's going to be a big event. How big, we didn't know at the time. You knew that it was going to be serious because when I was watching the, the coverage, you could see kids running out of the school. You could see the... You could see the the police and 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 the fire department and the and the paramedics all there trying to help out. These kids are getting their backpacks searched. Let's go back now to 850 KOA's Alverlay, Al. Not only their backpacks searched, but they've also got their hands on their head. And the police are not taking any chances on who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Matter of fact, here come about 20 more. They're all running to the SWAT team members, and as they get there, they're putting their hands up. The police are frisking them to make sure that these people are not associated with the bad guys that are in the building. Now, uh, we're being told that they're patting down everyone and then making sure that they don't have any weapons and that uh, they are indeed a student. The killing continued for close to an hour. It only stopped when the two gunmen took their own lives at about 12.08 p.m. By that time, most accounts of what happened came from students that had fled the school. We now want to go to Aaron Cohn, 10th grader at Columbine High School. Well, we were in the library, and the teacher came running down the hallway saying, there's a kid out there with a gun, I need to call the cops. So me and my friend Byron and Josh were sitting at the table, there were gunshots, I'm like pistols. And then we took off over into the far corner of the library, and then there's a girl that came over and laid on top of my back, and they said they were going to kill all the jocks, and they held a gun right at my head, and I guess they knew I was a jock. I have a baseball shirt on today, and it says nothing better than going yard on the back of it. And I know if she would have got off my back, I probably would have been shot. And there was a kid right next to me who has a Rebel Ball shirt on, but something happened. Right after that, they walked over to the other side of the library, and you could just hear the pipe bombs going off. I get It sounded like firecrackers. You could hear shotguns, pistols. Aaron, you're how old? 
I'm 15. You're 15 years old and you're saying someone held a gun to your head? Yes, I didn't see the shooter or who they were. I could see the the barrel of a gun right in my head, right by my head. Are you familiar with these kids called the trench coat mafia? Yes, I am. Were you and afraid I, of them? No, not till today. I don't know. It's kind of freaky that they kind of hung themselves. I've heard them say they think they're God. To be perfectly frank, I was, I, I was dreading the call that I knew was coming. I, I knew I was going to get sent to either the scene or somewhere else as part of the story. And I, I didn't think I was prepared as a radio reporter, as a journalist. I, I, I didn't study journalism. I, 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 I liked journalism and I, I liked telling stories, but I, I didn't think I was mentally or professionally prepared to cover a story like that. I, I, I was scared before the call came in. I, I was stunned watching it. I was freaked out watching it, just like I'm sure everybody else was. Um, nervous and anxious of, of what was to come, not only in that moment, but also in the moments to come for that day, for the next several. Because you know that it's not just going to be that moment or that day. It is a long, pro, prolonged event. I was assigned to Lutheran Medical Center up in the northern part of the of Denver metro area because they were sending kids who were injured to different hospitals so they didn't overwhelm any one hospital. Those kids weren't hurt too seriously, which was really good news. Then I went down to the school area and started covering the story from there. We had cell phones, so I anywhere I could, could get a cell phone signal, I could be on the air. And, and Kathy Walker was on the air trying to uh, do the best she could with the coverage from that point. We couldn't get on the actual high school property or on Clement Park because, again, there was such a huge police response. And what happens in talk radio? People start calling, like, immediately. We also have another eyewitness. Her name is Katie Place. I was sitting in the commons and all these, heard was all these people go down and then I saw him coming down the stairs, a huge guy with a trench coat and he was in one of my classes. I, I dropped down. And then everybody started running upstairs, and I was going to go, but then I heard a shot upstairs or something exploded upstairs. And the teacher was yelling at me to get out, and I ran out. My friend Brittany and I were really scared. We just ran over to a close friend's house. Do you know anyone who was hurt? I saw a girl that was shot in the stomach, and my friend tried to help her. And that's, and then oh, I saw another girl laying down by the school, and that's all I saw. What on earth could have happened to prompt somebody to do this? I don't know. The person that I knew that he looked like, I talked to him before, and he sounded nice. But Columbine is always a really friendly place. I never thought this could happen here, but I guess it could happen anywhere. This is a CBS News special report. Good day. John Roberts from CBS News headquarters in New York with an update now on that school shooting at the Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado, a suburb of Denver, about seven miles southwest of the uh, the downtown area. Here is the latest for you now. We have confirmation that three students have been brought to one hospital, Swedish hospital in Denver, and all have uh, gunshot injuries. Two of them are uh, females. One is By now, the national media were starting to arrive on the scene. David Bernkoff was vice president of news planning at CNN. Reports start coming in that there's been a school shooting and your reaction then is so different than it is now because now it's oh no not again i hope it's not a lot of people hurt or killed 
then it was, what do you mean? What, what is this? It's the, how could this be? It was so different. You hear about the story. You figure out the gravity. You get somebody on an airplane the second you can. You get a correspondent, a producer, a camera crew. You get them there as fast as you can. Marcy McGinnis was senior vice president of CBS News coverage based in New York. Meanwhile, you're relying on your affiliate who's already there because they're in Denver, right? In this case, we could get the signal from the affiliate because they'd be on the air and faster than we could fly somebody in. And so we would take their either their air or we would be interviewing their reporters. You get other people working the phones to find out the information. That's what the news desk does. So the news desk is making the calls. They're calling the hospitals. They're calling the police. They're calling the local TV station. They're calling everybody and anybody that they can to find out information. As soon as it became clear that kids were killed inside, uh, and I remember the helicopter shots of the kids fleeing the school, it could have even been at that moment when you see something that's so shocking and you know that it's going to be of concern to everybody. So that would have been something that pretty quickly you say, all right, let's get people on a plane, even chartering planes, because we didn't have a bureau in Denver at that point. So we chartered people straight from L.A. and then elsewhere uh, to just flood the zone, as they say. Every parent had a cell phone, and I think every school kid had a cell phone. And because of that, you couldn't reach anyone because the cell systems were completely overwhelmed. So there was this huge period of what I call the not knowing, not knowing what's happened to your child. And the agony of that almost worse than actually finding out one way or the other. The kids, they, you know, they were ran out of the school with their hands over their heads, and then they boarded on school buses, and they came over to Leewood Elementary School. And you could look in these buses, and you could see really traumatized kids. And my lasting memory uh, of this whole thing was looking at a young woman on this bus. She was standing up, and I watched her. She was so upset, she vomited. And uh, I'll never forget that. That's just how traumatizing and horrible this all was. Jerry, Jerry's voice cracked as he told me how traumatized these kids were in the aftermath of leaving the library. It's just heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. This is an 850 KOA special report. Jerry Bell is now at the scene of the shooting at Columbine High School. He's with an eyewitness, Joe Milan. Joe, Jerry, can you tell us? Uh, oh, Joe is on the phone. Joe, can you tell us what you saw? Yeah, I was uh, sitting down in the commons eating my lunch. I just hear a pop, 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 pop. And all the kids started running. But it was a big joke. No, someone's shooting. And we run up, we ran up the stairs. And I passed the library. And there's bullet holes in the uh, glass. And the glass starts breaking. They're shooting at us. And the principal started telling everybody what happened. They have grenades, shotguns, they have a bomb threat, all that kind of stuff. I remember only getting nervous about my work and my performance and all the things that broadcasters think about when I was told that we were standing by to go live to President Clinton. It just didn't dawn on me that what we were dealing with was now a national news story. I want to begin by saying that 
Hillary and I are profoundly shocked and saddened by the tragedy today in Littleton, where two students opened fire on their classmates before apparently turning their guns on themselves. I have spoken with Governor Bill Owens and County Commission Chair Patricia Holloway and expressed my profound concern for the people of Littleton. I think that uh, Patricia Holloway would not mind if I said that amidst all the turmoil and grief uh, that uh, she and others are experiencing, she said to me uh, just a moment ago that perhaps now America would wake up to the dimensions of this challenge if it could happen in a place like Littleton and we could prevent anything like this from happening again. The way it is described to me, there are injured kids. There were, I would say, at least nine kids here. The emotion was incredible. It's hard for a parent to see the parents who came. Kathy, take a moment. Take a moment. Uh, very trying situation out there, as Kathy said. From ABC News World Headquarters, here is Peter Jennings. Deputy David, we're picking up snatches of information from a variety of sources. Let me play them to you and tell me if you, if you can confirm or deny them. All right. That there are at least two gunmen in the building holding some students hostage. We feel that there are at least two gunmen. The, part, the hostages, I cannot confirm. I don't know that to be a fact. We will continue our story in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. The way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Brian Williams. Welcome back. Jason Luber of Denver TV station KUSA. It really was a, just a total chaotic scene. There were people everywhere because there were so many kids that were injured. So they were being brought out. Uh, so the paramedics were trying to help those folks. The policemen were still trying to go into the school. And at that time... It's not like it is now where police would just rush a scene. They were being very cautious. They did not go into the school initially. They stayed back. They were they, they didn't have the information to know that they could go into the school, that it was basically over after a few, uh, after 20, 30 minutes or so. It, it didn't take that long for the two killers to do what they did and then killing themselves. Police got there very quickly, so they were still active shooting in the school, but they weren't actively shooting for very long. Unfortunately, when we did make entry into the library, uh, it was a pretty gruesome sight. 
We're doing a sweep of the entire school. We've got our SWAT team, Arapahoe counties, and the FBI. Hopefully, we'll get it wrapped up within an hour as far as the sweep. Are you give us an idea of how many towns? I've heard numbers as high as 25. It looks like quite a bit. Appears to be a suicide mission, but had a lot of media attention around the country, and and you don't know how much that plays into giving somebody else an idea to do it. I was told at one point during the broadcast that they're now feeding KOA audio through the hospitals. In other words, if you would have walked into a Denver metro area hospital on that day, you would have heard KOA coming through the loudspeaker of the hospital because everyone wanted information and they couldn't figure out how to do it and they still needed to work and they couldn't sit in front of a television and, you know, the ability to go live in television was not as easy as it is now. So that all took a little while. So in the very initial stages of it, we really felt like everybody in town was listening. We, we still didn't know as reporters if there was actually somebody going to be shooting at us from inside the school. We didn't have that information yet. So that was part of the, the challenge was, where are we going to be? Where are we going to be safely? Where can I do my reporting? Like I said, I am different than the... Uh, TV crews, because the TV folks, they had to have their cameras hooked up to their trucks at that point. They didn't have the remote capabilities like we do now where you can just roam anywhere. So that's what I was doing, uh, just walking through the crowd and trying to find out some information and see what was going on. Usually, as a radio reporter, you're walking around with your microphone, your little recorder, and you're trying to get sound from witnesses, from officials, that was not happening in this instance because everything was live. So I really didn't worry about putting my microphone in people's faces. And I think the, the local press was similar in that where they would have their camera on. And if people were willing to talk, they would. That changed as the national press came in because that evening, that's when the nationals started showing up. It was almost an invasion as a good way to describe the way the national press came in and, and made it even more of a chaotic scene. This was a horribly unusual and terrible event. And so everybody came, um, you know, national media, worldwide media. Um, and there was this large encampment at a park that's near the school, Clement Park. And um, it was huge. And people were, journalists were climbing all over the place. And um, people grew to resent it. These kinds of breaking news stories, you learn Every single time you do it, you learn something new, but it, it does fall into almost the same pattern every single time where you've got the live reports, you've got the crazy havoc happening in the beginning, you've got people running around, you've got the police, the SWAT teams, the press conferences, the identifying the killers, identifying the subjects, the victims. And then the following week, it turns into the concentration on the victims. And one of the things I think that does change and that has changed over the course of all these mass shootings is the emphasis being more on the victims than on the killers. Because there's a lot of people who believe the more notoriety you give these people, the more copycat killings there might be. So we did not believe that it was right to never say the names of the killers. We did understand, however, not spending a huge amount of time concentrating on them 
and concentrating a little bit more on the action of the, on the uh, victims. Because really, in the end, this whole issue is about the people who have died. I think we wanted to be so careful not not to be the ones to tell someone that, you know, we saw a child who was blonde on the sidewalk dead, right? We tried to be careful about those things. Part of what was so traumatic for all of the students at, at Columbine is that every media outlet, including us, had a helicopter at that point. So here we're talking about one suburban high school. And I believe there were four helicopters overhead and that the kids talk to this day about how the sound of a helicopter is traumatizing to them, that they knew they were being watched from the air and that all this horrible, horrific drama in their lives was playing out from helicopter video. And, and unfortunately, the, the helicopter shots were showing when Patrick Ireland was coming out of the window, uh, bloodied and, and shot up. And, and flops down onto the top of the, the roof of that van. I don't know if we can go back to that, uh, that picture or not, but as you can obviously see, there are still some students um, in that situation. You can see the SWAT team uh, obviously has been able to extricate that person from the building. When things are happening live, it's hard to figure out exactly what is going on, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, at least at that time. It was, it was just, and, and, and there is that, competitive especially with the tv stations we have to be first we have to be um with the with the most information we have to have the most compelling coverage it is still very competitive between the tv stations with the radio stuff we were just trying to get the latest information to the people and we didn't really have competition really worry about competition it was just really information now this is what we know this is what we can tell you and and we did the best we could we're also learning a little more about the gunman in trench coats. April, Colby left before the shooting. She heard what sounded like firecrackers. What's most frightening to her is that she knows these guys, the trench coat mafia. The trench coat mafia that hangs out at our school. Then I used to hang out with them. You did? What kind of people are these? They're just twisted people. They're very violent and they don't care about other people's feelings as long as they can do what they want. She says she knows one of the guys in the group has a dad that owns a lot of weaponry. Satellite trucks started showing up from all around the country. Uh, we had reporters. I talked to a reporter from Germany who was there. There were reporters coming from all around the country. Katie Couric was there that night and then broadcasting live for the Today Show that next morning on Wednesday. And welcome to today on this extremely sad Wednesday morning, everyone. I'm Katie Couric. We have come to Columbine High School in Littleton. You've got all the morning show network anchors there competing for people who knew these kids or, you know, someone, the lawyer who's going to speak for the kids, family spokesperson. And then you've got the networks and they're all trying to get it exclusively and they're all trying to get it before the other person does it at the very least. And they're offering all sorts of um, inducements. You have to agree that you're not going to go on the competition, your your our exclusive interview. Those morning wars continue to this day. The national press came in and they are a different breed because they are more aggressive and they're used to being more aggressive in their coverage. 
And unfortunately, some of the public officials, it seemed to at least us in the local press that that the that the that the local officials were kind of starstruck. Wouldn't you rather talk to Katie Couric than talk to our local TV anchor? But a national press came in, did what they did, covered it the way they covered it aggressively, really turned the local victims, turned their hearts hard against the press, and then they left and left us to then deal with the aftermath of what they did. And so I think that was a detriment to the overall story. A lot of the families um, that we've talked to over the years and gotten close with felt that they were, you know, exploited during that time and during their trauma. And they were very, very upset, uh, in particular with national media. I understand that point of view. But broadcast journalism is exactly that. It's broadcast. You need, by by its very nature, you need cameras. And you need the equipment that goes along with that. So it's... It's one thing to say they're too intrusive. They come in with all of this stuff and sticking cameras in people's faces. Okay, if I was a print reporter, I could come in with my tape recorder or my pad and pen, and I would not appear as intrusive, but I'd still be asking people questions. So our reporters, our producers, were trained to be sensitive to that. Of course the people in the town are going to be overwhelmed, because it's not just CBS News there. It's hundreds of news organizations from around the world. People are flying in from all over the place. So everyone wants to be there because everyone wants to tell this really important story. And broadcasters have the additional burden of telling it on camera. Our obligation as news people, our our, our obligation as broadcasters is to tell their story. So you would be amazed at the number of people who found it cathartic to talk to our people on camera because they wanted to tell their story so that other people would hear it and understand that something needed to be done. It is hard to put yourself back in time at the first kind of story like that, where people initially are willing to be cooperative because they understand it's a horrible thing and they understand the news and they respected the news at that point. (laughs) People trusted news organizations. And so then they're living through this and they can't get rid of these vipers that are continuing to hang around and looking for new angles and you know, who sold them the gun and why did you sell them the gun and, and who were the friends? How come the friends didn't know and the friends did know and why didn't they stop them? And it becomes almost an inquisition on the community. There was a lot of misinformation going on. And there was a lot of information going on that we didn't really know whether it was true or not. All of this stuff is unfolding. So as it's unfolding, we're on the air trying to tell the viewers what's happening. And so the, it's the job of the anchor and the reporters to make very certain that they're not giving definitive information unless they know it to be absolutely true. There were a lot of protocols that, that go out the window in a breaking news event like that, especially at that time where you didn't have a lot of those kind of breaking news events, especially something that big for, this, for the local press. The, they, it, it was just cover as best you could, get the helicopters up, I think one of the things that to say to, uh, about it, and it, it just happens like with stories like uh, 9-11 and things like that, 
is this huge adrenaline level at the beginning, right? You're, you're functioning on very little sleep for days at a time. And there's always that point where it hits you and where you lose it. And we had a lot of that in our newsroom. And to the point we brought in counseling for people um, and people reacted different ways. I had one a woman reporter who I couldn't pry her off the stories with the families. And I finally had to force her to stay home because she was becoming obsessed. And if we got a lot of good stories out of it, but it was she was a mess. She wasn't that was how she was kind of dealing with it, but not really dealing with it. Um, so you have to recognize as a news director and a leader that your people are not um, machines. They're not immune from feelings and they're not immune from like a PTSD. And I can tell you myself, every time there's one of these shootings and we hear about it uh, and it you know, gets squawked on a loudspeaker in our newsroom that the shooting supplies, my heart rate goes up and <laughs> I feel it every time. And, um, you know, I can function through it, but it's there. And I think it's important to realize um, that we're all human beings, even journalists. It was such an amazingly big story and shocking story. One of the things that we really prided ourselves on is one of our reporters did a profile on every victim and we covered every funeral. I can only say that if you seek out God's comfort, he will walk with you, even at a moment like this. His mercy is greater than we can imagine. We will all agonize. I'm Catholic, and so I covered all the funerals for the Catholic kids. And they had a media area in the back of the Catholic church near Columbine, where all of us media people could stand and observe. And they even had risers, I believe. And they had some areas where discreet, you know, pool photographers could stand and take pictures. I remember looking back behind me and seeing the grizzled AP reporter, you know, the AP photographer that had done every, you know, had photographed every gruesome murder, had just seen it all, done it all. Like he was like the grizzled photog that nothing you were going to do was going to shock him or nothing you were going to do was going to stop him from pointing his camera at you and taking a picture, right? He was just that tough, right? I remember looking back over my shoulder in church and he's shooting photographs and tears are streaming down his face. Oh, my voice still cracks. It was, it was like, wow, this is even getting to him. For those of us who covered Columbine from the get-go, those moments continued for a year. I won't lie. It was a year of traumatic storytelling. One year. We had reporters who said, I'm not doing a Columbine story today, who would just walk in and go, I can't do it today. And we all try to really support each other and go, okay, you're not doing any Columbine follow-ups today. Okay. Yeah. It was was a year. The massacre at Columbine claimed 13 victims and wounded 21 others. At the time, it was the deadliest school shooting in American history, a record that sadly didn't last long. 
But some of what was reported in the moment and became fixed as fact turned out to be less than accurate. And when the gunmen killed themselves, any notion of establishing their own motives or fully knowing the depths of their derangement died along with them. One of the sad things, again, talk about lessons for journalism, you know, there's so much incorrect reporting comes out about the people involved so quickly. Things that it took weeks and months to clear up. Things like they had no friends, they listened to certain music, they were part of the trench coat mafia, all these things that kids are saying right away, or parents who have picked up kids are saying right away to cameras and reporters, and you just put it right on the air. So there's kind of a dirty little secret about journalism that I think maybe people don't know, and I'm going to reveal it now, and again, I might get in trouble. But when you talk about fact-checking, there's fact-checking that goes into somebody says a certain person did something in their past, they had a criminal record, there are tax issues, there's meetings that were held where certain things were discussed. And you can fact-check those. Were people at that meeting? Do these documents back it up? But virtually 100% of that sort of instant reaction, the person on the street kind of thing, you have no way of fact-checking that initially. And the competition, the competitive pressure says, get that on the air. So if a kid who has just survived the shooting comes out and says, I know those kids who did that, and they were the most hated kids in school, nobody ever spoke to them, that goes right on the air. There's no fact-checking that. You're not waiting days to find out, did they really have no friends? That's just the nature of particularly television journalism, is once you find the person that you're going to interview, you let them tell their story and you have no way of really getting into the weeds, checking their story. And there was so much of that with Columbine, so many stories. So I think there's a real lesson in Columbine, and I'm not sure we learned it, which is that lesson of the things that people say after a tragedy like that need to be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. I think Columbine changed everything in terms of how law enforcement reacted, clearly made us think twice about sending the helicopters, that sort of thing, in terms of the media response. But Columbine changed everything for everyone. I'm Brian Williams. For more information about this episode and our series, please visit our website, We Interrupt This Broadcast. Now, please listen to this special message from Bill Curtis about the great work of the Broadcasters Foundation of America. Every day, broadcasters bring us the information and entertainment that enriches our lives and often saves lives. It's not only the person on air. It's the producers, engineers, management, sales, marketers, camera operators, and more. For more than 70 years, the Broadcasters Foundation of America, a 501c3 charity, has been a safety net, providing financial assistance to broadcasters and their families in acute need from a debilitating illness, tragic accident, or unthinkable catastrophe. 
Whether a retired broadcaster who can't afford life-saving medications, a family struggling to make ends meet after a crippling accident or severe damage from a hurricane to the home of a broadcaster in need, the Broadcasters Foundation has always been there to help those in our industry who need it most. Now more than ever, the Broadcasters Foundation is in need of your donations to continue its charitable mission. Please consider a donation today at broadcastersfoundation.org. That's broadcastersfoundation.org. On behalf of all our broadcasters in all areas of our industry, we thank you.